Morning, everybody. Morning. Really glad. Um, you know, it's been a real joy working through this series, looking at the foundations of our faith and going back to Genesis chapters 1 to 3. Realize how much I missed there and and just how important also the, these things that these truths about God and about His world, about who we are, um, we often don't give them very much thought. But uh, just a little recap, kind of tying us into the story and where we're at. Last week we learned that Adam and Eve were created as image bearers of God. That their purpose was to represent God. Thank you, Shanae. To represent God in this world. And we see that uh, their job also was to take care of the garden God had placed them in. in Genesis chapter 2, it's a beautiful garden with everything that they could possibly need. God himself was with them. He walked with them. Only one thing was reserved for God. We read the command in Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, that they could eat of all the trees, but that uh, they would, should not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for if you eat of it, you will surely die. In placing the tree within the garden, the choice was placed before Adam. Would he depend on God and love and serve him alone? He had all that he needed. The Lord himself was his counselor, his guide, his king. And then we're told that the Lord created Eve. It's a wonderful thing, a companion for Adam. And chapter 2 ends in verse 25 with this wonderful statement of innocence and purity. The man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. And so we gain this picture from Genesis chapter 2 that all is well with God and man. But we know that's not the end of the story. There's, uh, for one thing, there's a whole lot left to the Word of God that we have today. For another thing, we, we wake up in the morning and, and we experience the reality of sin all around us and within our own hearts, don't we? And so we know that there, there's something more going on, something that has gone wrong with the world, with man. As we open up the scriptures in Genesis 3, we come to the reason that we come to the account of the first sin the tragedy of mankind's rebellion against the Lord rejecting God for another love choosing self choosing our own way over the Lord God and this tragedy continues because the path towards the first sin is the same path towards sin today. 
as we learn about the origin of sin, we are faced with our own doubts and our own temptations and our own sin. We come face to face with our own need for a redeemer. Someone who can save us from our sins. So if you turn there to Genesis chapter 3, we're going to talk about sin. We're going to talk especially about three things. As we go through the text, we're going to look at the lies that lead to sin. The nature of sin and the consequences of sin. And so that's a lot. We're going to cover it as we look through the text to see um, and to learn more about the reality of sin. I'm going to read the first five verses. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was craftier than any other beast of the field the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, Well, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, and neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So we'll stop there. Genesis 3 begins with a new character on the scene. The serpent is described as more subtle or crafty or wise than all the other creatures. Now, later, the Bible reveals to us that we have a spiritual adversary, the devil, who is referred to in places like Revelation 12, verse 9, as that serpent of old. But Genesis chapter 3 really doesn't focus in on who or what the serpent is. The focus here is on the serpent's lies. And on mankind's response to his lies. Like the serpent, the path towards sin is very subtle. The lies of this serpent were appealing. They were compelling enough for Eve to be deceived. And that's, that's uh, striking because she, she knew the command of God, right? But she was compelled to believe the lie. And the scriptures teach us that Eve was deceived. So what can we learn from the lies of the serpent about these lies that lead us towards sin? Well, first we see that the serpent begins by casting doubt on God and his word. He says, did God really say? Is that actually what he says? And it's striking because up until this point, there has been no other voice of counsel other than God's. Now the seed has been planted 
The door has been opened to another way. Well, maybe God is wrong. Maybe, as we'll see, maybe God is not good. Maybe he's, he's keeping back the truth from us. And so this doorway is, is opened. The doorway to death begins with doubt. And not only does the serpent open that door to doubt, he casts doubt on God and his word, but he denies God's word. You see this very clearly. He says, you will not surely die. Eve told him the right thing. She said, you, you know, you eat the tree you, or you touch it, you'll, you'll die. And, and she um, and he says, no, you will not surely die. It's appealing. It's very appealing. Imagine the thought. There's no consequence to that. We, we love to think, I can get away with this. There's no death. There's no punishment. There's no judgment for sin. But God has said that there would be death if they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so as appealing as so many ideas may be, so many of the lies like you will not die. It wasn't the truth. The serpent doesn't just deny God and his word. He also implies that God is not good or trustworthy. Even more reason for someone to, to reject God's word is what if if we're, we believe that we cannot trust God. And so what the serpent says is, he says that God knew. God knew that when you eat of it, you would be like him, knowing good and evil. Now, is that true in one sense? It's true in one sense. God himself said afterwards, they became like us in knowing good and evil. But they did not become like God in the sense that maybe we think of. They were not able to usurp God on the throne. <laughs> Take his place. He is God alone. And so this too was a lie. The serpent attacks God's character. And it's ironic because the serpent accuses God of hiding the truth, but who is hiding the truth? It's the serpent who is hiding something. Um, the serpent puts out the bait, and he hides the hook. He appeals to Eve, and he says, you'll be like him. You'll be like God. You'll know good and evil, verse 5. And that's, that's true enough in one sense, but he doesn't mention the consequences, does he? He does not mention that that was the way that leads to death. That to choose a path apart from God, to seek to take the place of God, to love something other than God is the path to death. And this is the way that lies operate. They tell us, they open the doorway to doubt. They deny God's word. 
They question his character and leave some things out, leave some of the truth out. I think if we look at every lie since the day that that door was open to another way, we can see how um, these lies are, are really giving us another way to think than God's way. Here's another way of thinking. Here's another way of doing things. But God has already told Adam and Eve all that they needed to know. He had given them his counsel. He had given them his word. And so in some way, every lie since that day has had to call God and his word into question. Every lie is contrary to the truth. And so it must seek to, in some way, get us to believe, appeal to us and our desires. Who will we listen to? Who will we trust? What will Eve do with the lies of the serpent? Well, if we look back in verses 2 and 3, um, Eve responds with, first of all, the word of God. Now, we, we don't know her heart at this point when she says this, but we're, she gets it basically right, I guess you could say. She, here's what she understood. Let's read it. Verse 2, the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the trees of the fruit of the trees in the garden, which God had said. But God said, You shall not eat of the tree, fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, so she understands that I'm not supposed to eat this fruit. And it's interesting because she adds, Do not touch it. Part of the origin, it's not a part of the original command. Now, we don't know why. Certainly, she heard it from Adam somehow, or maybe God told it to her again. We aren't told how she knew. And so it's really hard, again, to, to judge. Like, does she understand that she's adding to God's word? I don't know. All I know is later in the scriptures, we're warned about the dangers of that and adding to the word of God. So that's interesting. But here's the thing that I want you to think about. She knew the command of God. She knew the command of God. And yet in the end, we are told that she was deceived. Paul tells us this in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14. And what he said there is that Adam was not deceived. He willfully chose sin, willfully rebelled. But the, the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Now she still became a transgressor, but there was an element of deceit involved. And she had believed the lie. As she had listened, doubt took root in her heart. And so she listened then to this other counselor, the 
other way was the way to death. We look at the, the letter that James wrote in the New Testament. James gives a, a few verses talking about temptation. I'm going to refer to it several times. So if you'd like, you could turn there and, and um, just kind of keep your finger there. But it, James tells us in chapter 1, verses 14 to 15, He's talking about temptation and he says each one is tempted when he or she is drawn away and enticed by his own desire. And desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. I bring into this passage and I'll refer to it again because we see this process from desire to to death played out in Genesis chapter 3. And where we've gotten so far is we've gotten the lies. There's this other way. The doorway has been opened uh, to questioning God's authority and his goodness. And, and now doubt has taken root in Eve's heart. What will she desire? Let's read Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. This is Eve's response to the serpent's lie that he says, You will be like God, knowing good and evil. You will not die. And so the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. So Eve believed the lie. She looked at the fruit. She saw that it was good for food, a delight to the eyes, to be desired to make one wise. She desired it. And she chose the serpent's lie over God's truth. She chose her own path instead of God's way. We tend to think sometimes a little look won't hurt, right? Just a little look, a little taste. But you see, the problem is that Eve not only looked and we not only look with our eyes, but there is a longing in Eve's heart here that she not only saw it was good for food, it was a delight to the eyes, but it was also desirable to make one wise. She longed for what that tree had to offer her as she saw it and as it had been presented by the serpent as the way to wisdom it was attractive. And when that desire was conceived, Eve decided to take matters into her own hands. She had moved from doubting God to rejecting God. And so she made her choice. She ate and she gave some to her husband and he ate. 
to use the language of James chapter 1, sin was now conceived. Let's pause and talk about sin for a moment. We throw that word around a lot, I think, as Christians, don't we? And sometimes we don't stop to think about either what sin is or, or perhaps we downplay the seriousness of sin in our lives. So what is the nature of sin? Well, there's a lot of ways the Bible describes sin, rebellion and transgression, iniquity, um, and uh, many other words. But I want to take us again to to remember um, James chapter 1, verse 14. James says we're tempted, we're tempted when we're drawn away and lured or enticed by our own desire. And Eve was also enticed by her desires, right? She saw how good it was for food. I'm sure it was delightful. Beautiful colors. It looked appetizing. And it was also desirable to make one wise. And so her desires led to that choice. of Following her own desires or following God. Loving her own desires desires and seeking after her own desires or seeking after and loving God. Adam and Eve ate, disobeying God. They wanted what the fruit had to offer more than God. That's when we think about it, really at the bottom of Thinking about sin, what is sin? The essence of sin is that we would desire, that we would love, that we would seek after, that we would worship, live for, long for something more than God and act then in accordance to that. A rejection of God to go our own way. I believe we can see this reflected in the law. The law sums up the standard of righteousness and holiness and what is good. And what are we told in the law? You shall love the Lord. And Jesus repeated this. You shall love the Lord with your everything, with your heart, your soul, your mind and your strength. And to love your neighbor as an outflow, as an expression of that love for God. When we think about what sin is to reject God, to love something else more than God and to seek after it. To go astray from worshiping and serving God as we were created. Words don't really do it justice. I kind of want to take a survey throughout all the ways that we see sin expressed. The depth of it and the weight of it, because it's not a joke. It's not a joke. We're told that the holy wrath of God hangs over all unrighteousness, all the unrighteousness of man. 
think that's Romans 1. I didn't write it down. But I was thinking about that this morning. The weight of sin, the seriousness of sin that God promises condemnation and death for those who would choose another love. Another God. Another king. I was reminded this week about the prophet Ezekiel and how he talks about the sin of Israel in several places and it's graphic, it's awful. He calls their sin adultery. You see how serious sin is that it would be compared to that? A breaking of faith, of fellowship, of love and commitment to the God who created us, reject Him in favor of something else, something that He made, and all the things that He made, He made for us to enjoy. Why would we choose something else when the Lord Himself is our God? Sin despises the goodness of God and rejects his authority just as the lie was offered. God isn't good. His rule, oh, it's bunk. But God is good and he still reigns. But that's exactly what Adam and Eve did. They rejected God for another love. They chose the pleasure and the lure of power over, over God himself. The Apostle John warns us all, writing to believers. He says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desire of the flesh, the desire of the eyes and the pride of life. And we can see all of these as we look at Genesis chapter three. These are not from the Father, but is from the world. In James chapter 4, we're told that the friend of the world is the enemy of God. That's how jealous God is for the love of his people. Because he alone is worthy. He alone is good. All these other things flow out from him. John saw... And he writes about sin as loving the world, or the things of the world. Because sin at its core replaces God with another love. Love for power or pleasure.
pleasure or, or, or popularity or so many other things. And this tragedy of sin, the spiritual adultery against God, plays out in the lives of every human being on the planet. Our hearts are daily drawn to love other things. And daily we make choices to reject God for something else. And like Adam and Eve, we face the consequences of our sin. Genesis chapter 3, verse 7. I'm just going to refer to some of these verses. But follow along if you would. Genesis 3, verse 7 says the eyes of both of them they had eaten. The eyes of both were open and they knew they were naked. Where there was innocence and peace, now there was a sense of brokenness and shame and And was that legitimate shame and brokenness? It was because they had sinned against the Lord God. There can be a sense of shame in which one is sinned against in our broken world. But Adam and Eve had sinned against the Lord God and so they felt ashamed. They had loved the fruit and what it could offer more than God. And so that shame that Adam and Eve felt was an indication that all was not right between God and man. All was not right in their relationship with God. For they had rejected their king. And they were now afraid for they had rejected God and they hid. They would face the results of that choice. It would face a life without the blessing of God, which we'll talk about next week. The way that seems right to a man, Solomon says, is the way that leads to death. Now they would experience that life. Adam and Eve responded and they tried to cover up their sin. They made some loincloths. Verse 7. That sounds very delightful. I mean, I think it was at the King James. It's an apron that sounds very nice and covers everything. But a loincloth is a little less. A A little more revealing. Yeah, their sin was not covered, was it? That's the point. And they, they, then they hid from God, verse 8. And then when God speaks to them, and notice the character of God. What does God do in all of this? He comes to them. And he speaks to them and he talks to them and he offers them an opportunity to confess their sin, to, to say what they have done. But Adam and Eve chose to blame others. Adam blamed God. He said, this woman you gave me. He blamed Eve too. That's a double whammy there. Men were guilty of that. And then Eve then blames the serpent. And sometimes we can do that too, can't we? Oh, it's that person who tempted me or that thought that I had. But we don't take responsibility for the desires 
of our own heart. And so we, we need to be aware of these things. And just how many times, how many times have we done this very same thing? We thought that a certain act, a certain good deed or confession or something would somehow cover us or that we can just hide ourselves away from God. Or we blame other people for what we ourselves have done. But like Adam and Eve, we, we can't avoid justice. We can't undo what we've done. The consequence of sin still remains. The reality of death. So what is the answer to sin? What hope is there for such rebels, adulterers, and idolaters? If we can't cover ourselves, if we can't hide ourselves or get away by blaming other people, then what is the answer? To where do we go? We have the wonderful good news of the gospel of the Lord. Who? The Lord Jesus Christ. The answer to our sin is the Lord Jesus Christ. The good news is that Jesus, our Savior, is the last Adam, the second Adam. Who was tempted in every way. Yet, what does the scripture say? Without sin. Hebrews 4.16 When we read the Gospels, we see that Jesus was perfectly obedient to the Father when he was tempted in the wilderness Matthew chapter 4, he did not waver, but responded to every lie of Satan with the word of God, and he would worship none but God alone, for he loved the Father. Jesus' obedience extended to the point of death on a cross, Philippians chapter 2, where he bore our shame and offered his life as a sacrifice for our sin. This was prophesied by the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 53. And the writer of Hebrews in chapter 10 also says that Christ offered a sacrifice for sins once for all. All of this Christ did while we were yet sinners. Romans 5 verse 8. While we are lusting after other things, rebelling against the commands of God, enemies who hate Him, He died for us. He went to the cross. And the wonderful promise of John. 3.16 is that whoever believes in him will not perish, will not experience the wrath and the condemnation of God for sin, but would have everlasting 
He took the shame of Adam and Eve on the cross for all who would believe in Him. And the one who trusts in Christ is promised, is given a new heart with new affections. 2 Corinthians 5.17, we are a new creation. Ezekiel prophesied in Ezekiel 11, this same nation that was an adulterous nation, he says that he would give them a new heart and a new spirit. He would cleanse them of their sins that they might walk in his ways. That he would be their God. This is the promise that is given to those who are in Christ Jesus, to those who trust in Him alone, who have acknowledged their sin. Lord, I am an adulterer. I am a rebel. Your judgment is just. I cry out to the Savior believing that he has paid it all. And not only are we given a new heart with new affections for God, we are able by the Spirit of God to respond as Jesus did in obedience. To respond with the Word of God, with the truth. For Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Now, we have a great high priest, one who knows our weakness, who has been tempted in every way, yet without sin. That's Hebrews chapter 4. And I believe it's Hebrews 4 also that talks about the Word of God. That the Word of God is sharper than any sword. It's able to pierce deep into the desires of our heart. All of this we have in Christ. He alone is the answer. He alone is the one who can grant us forgiveness of sins. And to walk in a new way of life. The path to the first sin is the same path to sin today. We can see the same lies casting doubt on God and His Word. We are guilty of the same sin. We are guilty of desiring something else more than God. We face the same grave consequences that of death, wrath, condemnation of God. And we respond in much the same ways, seeking to atone for our own sin, seeking to pass off the blame and to hide ourselves. But the Redeemer has come. 
And in Him is the truth that counters every lie. He Himself is the truth. He Himself is the way and the life. Every privilege, every pleasure, every gain we could possibly imagine is lost compared to the Lord Jesus Christ. Knowing Him, it's worth giving up the pursuit of everything else. To come to Him for forgiveness. To come to Him for Him. To desire Him and love Him. Jesus Christ alone is the answer to sin. He alone can redeem the adulterer who loves the world more than God. He alone can redeem the idolater who worships a false God, for he is the living and the true God. He alone can redeem the rebel who makes his own way in life. Turn to him. Come to him. And place your life in his hands. Praise God for our Redeemer. Praise God that though our sin be as scarlet, He has washed it white as snow.